0: Welcome back to another episode of the Two Christian Dudes podcast. If you've been
1: following along with us on season one, we've been having many fantastic conversations with people who have had near-death or afterlife experiences, as Randy likes to call them. Uh, We're excited today to talk with our friend Ian McCormick. Uh, He's going to be our second guest who have encountered one of God's creatures out in nature, so to speak, uh, that contributed to him actually having his near-death experience. Uh, He had a crazy time. Getting to the hospital, he has a powerful heaven encounter. We're going to get into all of that and what has happened in his life since then. So give me just one moment and I will bring Ian and Randy into the conversation. Randy, take it away, sir.
2: Well, you're talking about a creature and this creature was a jellyfish. One sting from a jellyfish can kill a human being in a matter of minutes. And our guest Ian was stung by five of these jellyfish you're gonna be hearing about some things which are just edge of your seat, fascinating discussion topics and a storyline that will just blow your mind. So Ian is joining us from New Zealand. So welcome to the show, Ian, and we very much look forward to uh, to hearing your story.
3: Oh, thanks, it's great to see you guys. And Randy and Sean, just the the word of God that touched my heart, the love of God that touched me through this experience, Change me, and I can really testify why I'm here is because of a praying mum. And I think the fact that someone's loved us enough to get on their knees and pray, even though you're a million miles away from God, and that my mum's prayers um, changed me forever. And I'd like to try and share that experience with you. Um, where I was stung by five-box jellyfish on the island of Mauritius while night diving. Um, My background, uh, I was brought up and born and bred in New Zealand. Uh, It's like heaven on earth, beautiful outdoors, um, diving, swimming, surfing, mountains, lakes. And so I was brought up very much by my family um, in rural settings. We used to milk 360 dairy cows, and I just loved the outdoors. My mother thought I had fish blood in me. I spent more time surfing, diving, swimming. And as a young man, I was just fascinated by the ocean. Um, I think I watched every Jacques Cousteau program on TV. I was captivated by it. I desired to be a marine biologist. Um, When I saw it was a six to seven year degree, I decided upon agriculture. I did a, a degree in veterinary science, dairy science at Lincoln University in New Zealand. And I was working and um, for the New Zealand Dairy Board. And my best friend, uh, Tony McCartney, good Irish name, he said to me, would you like to travel the world surfing? we just ended a movie that we'd been watching called Endless Summer. It'd captivate us. No winter, uh, no wetsuits, get our surfboards and just travel the tropics. And so I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So we... Grabbed our boards, and it was um, 1980, and we began to uh, travel through Australia, Indonesia, um, Sri Lanka, uh, South Africa, Mauritius Reunion. We spent two years just surfing the world. And I ended up in in 1982. It was um, April of 1982, back in Mauritius. And I was living with a local Creole fisherman, the Rastafarians, the Peter Tosh guys. They don't worry, man. Be happy. <laughs> Smoke more hashish. So they were, they were laid back. They were phenomenal um, athletes, awesome friends, and they taught me to night dive. I dived in many different parts of the world, but at night that was a whole new experience. And so when we went out diving, we would see the um, parrotfish sound asleep on the reef. You would see the crab, beautiful crabs and, and crayfish, which you call lobster. Out walking out on the reef, and we' dive on the outer part where it drops off twelve fourteen thousand feet, so we we dive along the edge of the r- lagoon on the outer reef. I had done many night dives. it was the nineteenth of April nineteen eighty two and we dropped into the ocean, and I began to make out what appeared to be like a transparent I thought it was a cuttlefish because I'd never seen a jellyfish like it. It was torpedo or bell shaped cubed. And then two finger-like tentacles coming off the cube. Um, had I known what it was, I'd have immediately got out of the water. But unfortunately, I'd never seen a photograph of a box jellyfish. Um, so right in front of me was potentially the deadliest creature known to man. The neurotoxin from them is supposed to be a hundred times more lethal than a cobra. So I saw it, um, took took note of it, but continued to dive. My wetsuit, unfortunately, because I was in the tropics, I found the water at night quite warm. Um, I had a short sleeve vest on. So my forearms were exposed, my neck was exposed, and my ankles where my wetsuit joined to the flippers. The Creole divers who had lived there all their life in the tropics had put on full wetsuits, rubber hoods, booties. So for them, the water was freezing cold, and so they were encased in protective rubber. Me, Exposed, and this was going to be the issue this night. Um, suddenly, something smashed into my arm like a vault of electricity. I felt like someone had put a branding on, on my arm underwater. Shaken by it, I, I couldn't see what hit me. Then another one hit me. This time I saw it was a jellyfish. I then realized I was literally in a soup of thousands of jellyfish that had been washed up onto the reef. So I tried to get through them before I could get. Um, uh, to the reef and climb up to talk to the divers, I'd been hit four times across my forearm. My arm was literally blistered as though I'd been whipped literally across my arm. My skin was raised. It looked like the skin was literally about to burst. You know, when you burn yourself on the stove, it blisters. My whole forearm was blistered. As I'm looking at it, the Creole fisherman, Simon, he said, impossible, bon, Stephanie, on Stephanie." In my limited French, she was telling me that one would kill me. And um, I said, Simone, he said, how come you not know? I said, I've not known this one. He said, allez, allez, vite, mon, hospital. Allez, allez. In, in French, I knew that to be go quickly to the to the hospital in Catrebon. Trouble is, we're at least half an hour away from the from the hospital, standing on an outer reef. They lower me into the water, drag me to the fishing boat, and as my right arm, which is partly paralyzed, is dragging up into the boat, I get hit a fifth time. Um, I thought, what have I done to deserve this?
0: Surely, what on earth
3: have I done wrong? And I had a flood of memories of things that had done wrong in my life. I thought, well, I forgot about that. Gosh, I did that too. How I many have got short memories <laughs> Been there and done that? Well, at this stage of my life, um, I was no longer believing in any form of God. I was an atheist. Um, I thought that was something that mother did, grandmother who was in the choir. This is from old ladies, um, people that needed religion. For me, my, my scientific background at university had pretty well knocked any form of faith or belief in God out. So um, here I am confronted with my own mortality and confronted with the fact that I could potentially die. When you see black men turn white, um, it's very, <laughs> it's quite unnerving. And these guys love me. I, I mean, I was, I was a brother to them. We were close. So when I saw them panicking, I knew that I was in serious trouble. Professional divers were turning white. Um, they told me to urinate on my arm. They said this will help nullify the, the neurotoxin. In fact, what it would do, it would let the tentacles um, go. They were microscopically embedded into my skin. Uh, and I began to apply a manual tourniquet because I had no rope. Healed my wetsuit off because I could hardly breathe. Got changed into my um, into my Balinese um, sweats and a t shirt. The young kid began taking me towards the shore. And I, I said, Simon, come with me. Please, the other divers, come with me. He said, Ian, there's no motor. Uh, let the boy take you. He's only got a pole. He, he must get you to the hospital quickly. Ale, ale, ale. And um, it was actually a, a fatal mistake. They should have come with me. Any other child gets me to the beach. I stand up and try and walk, and my right-hand side collapses. To my horror, the neurotoxin has paralyzed, within that short period of time, my right-hand side of my body. I fall headlong into the bottom of the boat, just bracing my fallen arm, trying to stop it. The kid motions for me to grab my arm around his neck, and he drags me bodily. I don't know how he did it, up the sandy coral beach towards the main road. Um, when we get up there, of course it's, it's eleven o'clock at night, but there's
0: nothing there.
3: And I'm he's he's freaking out. He can see I'm dying. I'm dying. He knows his brothers are on the reef. He wants to go and rescue them. He's going. My frere, Stephanie, Plage. I'm going. no, ambulance, gendarme. In my limited French, I'm trying to get him to call the doctor an ambulance a a police officer telephone but of course in 1982 no mobile phones so the poor kid makes a poor judgment he he runs down the beach to go back and rescue his brothers who are actually completely safe because they've got four wetsuits on but the child didn't understand it he's a 12 14 year old boy i'm now feeling in Overwhelmed with tiredness and weakness, my, I sit down and feel like lying down. So I begin to lie back. And as I begin to lie back on the, the side of the road, my eyes just automatically begin to shut. And then I hear a voice of a man. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. It was so clear and so audible, it caused me to turn to look in the direction of the man's voice. Amazingly, there was no one there.
0: I just I thought, where is he gone? How on earth
3: did I? And then I realized there's no one actually there, but I've just heard an invisible man speak audibly to me. Um, I found out later that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. <laughs> well, I was a black sheep <laughs> I'm a million miles away from God. But what is amazing that Jesus said, "I go looking for the lost sheep." He goes searching for them, and of course, at that time, I didn't realize I was lost. I I thought I understood life. I was fairly together. Um, I had no concept that there was a living God that could speak to mankind. So I ran the thought through. Close your eyes; you'll never awake again. And of course, I knew from my own physiology, I was a lifeguard from veterinary science. You can't go to sleep with a neurotoxin, this is coma. This isn't sleep. This is certain death. I believe, had I not heard his voice, which I now know to be the voice of God, I would have died on the beach, you know, exactly like the normal the people get hit by them. Within minutes after the attack, I would have slipped into coma and died. So I, this was the turning point, hearing this voice, which I now know to be God. I stood up, shook it off, summoned whatever adrenaline i had in me and thought i have to get to find some help as i stood up i was amazed i hadn't seen them maybe a hundred meters down the road was um three indian taxi drivers in a small petrol station i hadn't been aware of them and so i staggered towards them they saw me coming and thought i was drunk as i got up to them i said look i'm not drunk i've been stung by Sark, on bizarre jellyfish this is deadly. I need antiserum. I have to get to the hospital. Can you help me? I said, we can. Um, how much money you pass?
0: <laughs> I said, well,
3: 50, 100 US, who cares, man? And they said, well, let me see your money, white man, and we take you. Well, of course, I didn't have 100 US on, my, on, on me. I'd been diving. So I just mumbled out the words, um, I don't have the money with me. As they heard that, all three just walked away. And I realized in this part of the world, no money, you could die. There's, I'm near South Africa. There's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of racial hatred. And I was now on the receiving end of potential racial hatred. And um, as these men walked, not knowing what to do, for the second time, this clear, audible voice, I realized no one else was hearing it because no one responded to it. As though someone was right behind me said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? for your life. That's a brilliant idea. I hadn't thought of it. And I turned to see where the man was. (laughs) So for a second time, I've got this man speaking to me. He said, will you beg for your life? Well, I'd lived in South Africa and seen Zulu and the Corsa go, yes, i I'd seen them to the Afrikaans and to the English, bowing and begging. I thought, well, I'm sure these men have never seen in Mauritius a white man beg for anything. So I quickly fell to my knees, grabbed my paralyzed right hand, bowed my head, and looked down at their feet and begged for my life as an act of humility. I was, I was watching two of them walk to the and thought, oh, that's not a good sign. But the third young one, without a word, walked over and helped me into his taxi. I thanked him profusely. I said, man, that's so good. Thank you. As we raced towards the hospital, he then began to ask me how I, he was going to get the $100 that I promised him. He said, what's your hotel room? Where do you stay? I said, well, I live with Creole fishermen. I don't stay in a hotel. He said, you lied to me. And he suddenly changed from a demeanor of helpfulness to anger. I said, well, I live with the fishermen in Tamron Bay. He said, oh, you stay in the hotel there, the Chinese hotel. I said, no, no. He said, you're not paying me. You lied to me. Why you lied to me? I said, look, I'm not lying. I'm a traveler. Serve I'm not a tourist. These words were like, meant nothing to him. He he just went, no money. Take you to the nearest tourist hotel, and they can look after you. So he pulled in front of the hotel, told me to get out. At this point, I, I, I realized when I tried to move, both legs were now completely paralyzed. The poison had now taken out both legs. I said, sir, I cannot walk. I have a large amount of money. If you get me to the hospital, you name your price. Um, To my horror, he reached over, took my safety belt off, opened the door, and before I knew what had happened, pushed me straight out of his taxi. As I fell to the ground, he drove off into the night and left me for dead. Um, I think at this point, I then thought, well, why would you want to live on a planet like this? If your number's up, do yourself a favor and die here. it's pointless. This is how humanity treats fellow man. Really, you don't want to live anymore. So I lay there dying and um, wasn't even trying, and then I have the recollection. funny thing how things come to mind of my grandfather who had fought through um, Gallipoli, First World War, uh, against the Ottoman Turks, and then in, Mo- and in Monte Cassino, and he had fought Second World War against Rommel and then gone up and fought in Monte Cassino and then and back up until when they're dropping V1 and V2 bombs into London. So I I was somehow recollecting a grandfather who was a, a military warrant officer,
0: professional soldier. <laughs> I thought, here you are, his grandson, giving up on five stupid jellyfish. You might as well die fighting, man. <laughs> What's the point? know, i have seen men in battle. Most of my family, either military or farmer,
3: And I thought, what a, yeah, just try. So I grabbed clumps of grass in in amongst the asphalt of the broken car park and began to pull myself bodily along the ground. Um, I was getting very, very uh, little movement, but at least I was trying. Then I I looked up and someone was shining a flashlight me. As I looked up, I could see one of the security guards, one of my closest friends, Danielle, my drinking buddy, standing over me saying, Mr. man, what happened to you? I never see you like this. What you do in the car park, man? Have you ever crawled around the car park legless on a Friday night? You're American. You don't do that. (laughs) It's just the wild west down here. So here I am, I'm crawling on the ground, and he's thinking I'm drunk or stoned or something. And then he sees the mark from the jellyfish. And as a night diver and as a fisherman, he instantly recognizes it. He went, on Ian, pardon, You dive with Simon tonight, Le Mans. I said, oui, said, Sephanie. So he re- reinforces the same thing the other divers had said. it will kill you. Stephanie, the end. He scoops me up in his arms and races with me into the Hotel Browns. The Chinese family that owned it are playing mahjong by the swimming pool drinking the black black label Johnny Walker they seem to love it I'm, I'm in a surreal position being carried and this weird man, time just seems to go in kind of slow motion, I'm then put in a chair next to three Chinese owners and thinking Danielle, tell them you're a flipping local, you speak French Creole, but of course I realise as a Creole he can't speak unless spoken to there's
0: such a thank God we can get rid of all this stuff through Jesus. So anyhow, I said, the
3: Chinese said, you drunk. I said, no, no, my arm, I've been hit by some jellyfish, deadly. I have to get to the hospital. Can you help me? One of the Chinese owners looked over, and he could see the marks on my arm, and he went, oh, you, you stupid, stupid white boy. What, why do you put the needle in your arm? Oh, the old man take open with pipe. Why do you put the needle? So immediately he thought that the marks um, were from heroin, that I'd be chasing the dragon, that I must be mainlining smack or something, shooting up. Unfortunately, in those years, I was trying to look like the Beatles. Remember when you – like Woodstock? Here yeah. <laughs> was down here, man. And um, so he must have thought just a druggie, you know. And I said, look, this is not drugs. This is, this is from a um, jellyfish. They ignore me, begin replaying their game. It's just I'm just some drunk tourist. Dribbling on about something. And then, then, as I'm sitting there, I catch in the corner of my eye my right hand beginning to spasm, uh, muscle, muscle uh, spasms in the right arm, pits my jaw, begins to spasm, right hand begins to shake violently. And I go into what I can only describe as the death rattles. Um, I've seen someone have a grand seizure, epilepsy. It would be similar in its bodily shaking, but this was not epilepsy. This was neurotoxin causing my body to violently react to the poison within its system. As I'm shaking the bits, the three men physically try and restrain me, but I'm throwing them off. As quickly as it started, it stops, and I go icy cold. I can feel... A cold, encroaching death coming into my body, starting in my bone marrow of my feet and moving up like necrosis into the core of my body. And I'm shivering. I'm freezing. I said, please, can you get blankets? Please help me. Three men run. Next minute, two are back, wrapping me up in blankets. The third one's, some for some reason, holding a glass of milk. Then he tries to pour it down my throat, and I realize he's thinking of ingested a toxin so the milk might nullify it. So at least he's thinking. I said, sir, I don't need the milk. I, I need someone in, to take me. I can see your car in the car park. Please take me in your Mercedes uh, to the hospital now, or I'll die in front of you. I expected it to be a mere formality. Unfortunately, the man looked at his car, put his hand on my shoulder. said, oh, my car? No,
0: no, no. Cannot. Cannot take my car. Wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry, man. You ever feel like hitting someone? Well, he was so close. I thought, how dare you not take me in your car?
3: What kind of sick human being are you? So I tried to hit him, but my right hand wouldn't move because it was paralyzed. So I tried my left. I thought there's a small amount of strength. I could grab his shirt, rip him into my forehead, and teach him a lesson in humanity, what not to do with a dying man. i flip and rearrange his face. So I'm just about, not all the criminals went to Australia, obviously. So I'm just about to whack this guy. <laughs> and, uh, and I hear the voice, third time, clear, audible, as though he was now here. He said, son, if you hit this man, the neurotoxin is so close to your heart that the
0: adrenal rush will kill you. Oh, my God, it stopped me. I was so close to hitting him that I
3: thought, this ma- this voice, again, is true. If I hit him, I could hasten my death. I thought, well, I could control my anger, look away, and get him later. So I thought, yeah, plan B. <laughs> so I turned to my right just to control the anger and suppress it. And to my amazement, into the car park comes an ambulance. As I'm watching this ambulance appear, Danielle appears from nowhere with another security guard, scoops me up out of the chair and races towards the the entrance of the hotel, gets me into the ambulance, and I realize, oh, my goodness sake, I was just about to kill myself. And here an ambulance, it's interesting, God often leaves things to the last second. I don't know why he does that, but you can manifest and kick off and he's just about to rescue you. So... I've just got rescued into an ambulance. The Frenchman, who's the, the driver, doesn't say, how are you? He just drives. I'm shivering in the back seat of this thing, shaking, freezing, dying, and um, uh, we begin climbing the ridge towards the hospital in Catrebon. As my legs begin to elevate, which is the worst thing you should have done, um, the neurotoxin in my lymphatic system and my blood begins to drain into my lungs, my heart, and into my mind. I can literally feel death enveloping, shutting down my uh, what's left of my bodily functions. It doesn't pay to be an intellectual and know how you die. Sometimes you'd rather just be dumb and dumber, you know what I mean? But anyhow, I'm here to analyze my own blinking death. As this is happening, I can feel my mind literally shutting down with the poison. My goodness sake, this is crazy, man. I may not even make it. Next minute, video clip. Like a child with snowy white hair, teenager. Suddenly I realise I am seeing my own personal life in seconds race in front of my eyes. It's as though it's like a video clip. And I thought, my god, that's me. And I've heard of this just before people die, they often comment on this phenomenon. I then thought, well, perhaps I am nearly dead. So I did a quick physiological check, my own vital signs. My mind succinctly said, yes, son, you are nearly dead. You may not make it. I thought, well, if I die and don't make it to the hospital, is there life after death or is there nothing? I thought, well, atheist, evolutionist. When you die, nothing happens. Ash, dust, worms get you, cessation of life. It's finished, right? I thought, but I'm a gambling atheist. (laughs) The gamblers go, you've been wrong before, son, you know. Um, And I thought, well, as a gambler, I've heard many opinions, Buddhism, Taoism, Darwinism, Confucianism, Catholicism. Man, there's a ton out there. Humanism. So I lay there and I thought, well, there are many isms. Which one's true? I thought, I have no clue. I'll find out soon. It's a bit like playing Russian roulette. You'll find out which one's true fairly shortly. I'm not afraid to die. I'll soon find out.
0: As all this is racing in front of me, suddenly, miraculously, I see my mum. <sighs> on her knees praying. This just shakes me to the core.
3: I have no idea until I talk to my mum later. Right on the other side of the world, mother has just seen my face. Seen that I'm nearly dead, and God has audibly spoken. It's only the only second time she's ever heard the audible voice of God and said, your outer son,
0: Ian, is nearly dead. Pray for him now. And my mum, she ran, ran into the bedroom where she prays and fell on her knees and began pleading with God to save
3: her son and to save his soul. And my father had no idea what was going on. He was like, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? Ian's about to die. Dad uh, Dad told me later that what mum was doing. It seems as though mothers know when children are in trouble. They seem to have a, a, another sense where they could be a million miles away from their kids, but when something's going wrong, those mothers, thank God they can pray, <laughs> know what's happening. And and uh, here I am seeing my mum, who's the only Christian in the family, the real believer, on her knees praying. She then pleaded me. She said, son, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter how far from God you may be, no matter how bad you've been, Ian, call out to God from your heart. He will hear you some. He will forgive you. He will forgive you, Ian. Call out to God. It was so emotive. It was so powerful, as though mum was in the ambulance with me, literally reaching out and touching something that was inside me that had not been touched since a small child when I used to kneel. By with, by my bed with her each night and pray the Lord's prayer, and I'm lying there going, Mum, I, I don't believe in God. It's too late. I've committed too many sins. I'd be a hypocrite praying. My mum just kept saying, No, son, pray. He will forgive you. He will forgive you now. And I'm going, Well, which God, Mum? Everyone thinks their God's the right one. Who do I pray to? And and Mum didn't say a thing, but I knew she was a Christian, so I said, God, if this, if you're real, if Show, me, show, me, show yourself to me. If I see you, I need to see to believe. Show me yourself and I'll pray right now. No one appears except mum. And I thought, well, mum is a true believer. She prays only to Jesus. Could mother be right? Well, how many hate it when your mother's right? <laughs> but anyhow, I later thought, well, mum, this is the time to be right, mum. And I thought, well, what would you pray that's Christian? I thought when I was a little boy, she prayed the Our Fathers, the Lord's Prayer. Christian, Jesus taught it. So I tried to pray it, and my mind went completely blank. Just I'd never, ever prayed this prayer before in my life. And Mom said, Ian, do not pray from your mind. Pray from your heart. I thought, Mom, my heart's like stone. I'm so cynical. I'm so unbelieving. But God, if you really exist, if you're out there, if you see anything good in my heart, help me to pray the Lord's Prayer. I can't remember it. Instantly words appear in front of me, forgive us our trespasses and sins. I thought, these are powerful words, but how could God Almighty, should he exist, forgive me by saying just these words? I don't have time to list my sins and I can't even remember them all. So I said, God, if you are there, I sincerely ask you to forgive me of
0: all my sins. I have certainly broken many of your commandments. Please forgive me. If it's at all possible, forgive me. These words just seem to
3: disappear. Suddenly more words come up in front of me. Forgive those who have trespassed and sinned against you. I that, I can do that. By nature, I've been taught not to be revengeful or vindictive. I'm able to forgive anyone, I'm sure, that has harmed me in my life. God, I forgive anyone that has sinned against me. As I said it, the Indian taxi driver's face appeared a foot away from mine. And the voice said, will you forgive this man for pushing you out of his taxi tonight and leaving you for dead in front of the hotel?
0: I thought, you must be joking.
3: Why the heck should I forgive him? Suddenly the Chinese hotel owner appears, and the voice said, will you forgive this man for not taking you in his car to the hospital and leaving you to die in the hotel? I thought, actually, I had other plans for their lives. I was going to lay my hands upon them, but it wasn't like the priest. Oh, God bless you, my son. <laughs> my hands were out their flipping throat. I mean, I, I lay this for the first time realizing this is the fourth time I've heard this man's voice. But this man is attaching himself now directly to a prayer my mother said was taught by the Son of God, by Almighty God. Sometimes men are a bit thick. It takes a while to join the dots. You know, they're also very arrogant and proud. I lay there and I thought, my goodness, that could be almighty God who's asking me to forgive real people, not just mumble off some prayer, which I'd done as a child to keep my mum happy, meaningless repetition. I'm actually having to forgive real people that have actually harmed me. And these men would truly be the tip of an iceberg. I said, Lord, If you can forgive me, I will forgive these men. It would be an absolute miracle if you could wash all my sins away and give me a fresh start. I will then forgive these men, never touch them, never seek them out, never harm them all the days of my life. As I said that, their faces instantly disappeared. Fresh words, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What the heck does that mean? I've prayed it millions of times. What's thy will? God's will be done. I thought, well, so far, it's my will done. and It's got nothing to do with heaven. And it's a complete train wreck here on earth. I said, God, I have never surrendered the will of my life, the leadership of my life over to the Lordship of Christ. I've never, ever, I don't even know what you're doing in heaven. I certainly haven't lived anything that looks godly. So I lay there and said, God, if you help me through this, I will find your will. I will try and accomplish your will on earth all the days of my life. I surrender my life to you. As I'm praying this, I now realize I'm actually praying Jesus not only a savior, but His Lord. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus had said, "If you don't forgive others that have sinned against you, their sins, God the Heavenly Father won't forgive you your sins against Him. So your unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred will
0: nullify your repentance." Save a lot of counselling, anyhow. So I'm lying here. <laughs> I'm forgiving. Um, Um somehow meeting with God. I don't know what to do, cry,
3: weep, laugh. The whole prayer comes. And for the first time on the planet at the age of 26, I get the Lord's Prayer by personal revelation, personal encounter. I pray from my heart these words. And as I finish the Lord's Prayer, a peace envelops my spirit. It's as though the hand of God literally comes in and seals my heart with peace and presence. And I know that I am completely accepted, that somehow I've made peace with my Maker through this prayer. And Jesus said, if you pray to the Father this prayer, you can make peace with Him. Uh, Peace that surpasses understanding, peace that will never leave you. I didn't know any of the theology that I was born again. I didn't know. All I knew is that I'd called upon the name of the Lord, man, and He had heard me. let me,
1: let me interrupt you for a moment just to give you a little break um yeah. your story is so compelling i want to let you keep going but i, I want to make sure uh yeah, i ask this question um give give us a little context for uh how much time is has taken place with what you've shared because uh, as we talked about earlier you know getting stung by one box jellyfish can kill the average man in just a few minutes you got sung by five you yep. had a very windy path to uh get to the hotel and get into the ambulance. So uh, total time frame from when you first got stung to when you arrive in the hospital. I I, I feel like that's an important contextual piece of information. How long yeah, did that whole journey I, told you I think
3: maybe five minutes to get to shore. Um, I should have died there. Heard his voice. fought. Hobbled down the road. Another couple of minutes. Five minutes down the road to the hot to the hotel. Chucked out. Another five minutes sitting there, shaking. Ambulance arrives. So we're mostly 15, 20 minutes into the experience, and it's a ten-minute ride straight up to the hospital. So I'm, it's a, it's a half hour from stung till then. So I'm, I'm clinging to my life, and I'm cognitive that I'm fighting this poison. I am using every ounce of energy. Most people slip into a coma. Most people don't realise that they need to fight it. Um, I'm now mostly half an hour into it as I'm coming through this experience of praying. Everything goes into slow motion. I'd Years ago, I'd been in a car roll where the vehicle had rolled, and I noticed time slowed down. I I believe, and I talked to God about it later. He said, Ian, I wish that none would perish. There's more grace given to man in those dying moments. I'm eternal. I can literally slow time down. I've seen men in, in war that talk to me, bullets coming for them, miss, missing them, guys in car wrecks, cars flipping. Everything's going into slow motion. People with heart attacks. Instance. no they are literally having opportunities to potentially pray and talk to god even though it looks instantaneous
2: so, so and, yeah i'm sorry so uh, you know what i think uh, one of the things that's so fascinating to me is so you had all of these people who were rejecting uh you in terms of not offering their help and then yep. you had the what two or three encounters with this voice that yep. came to you uh, what do you think that voice was? Was do you think this was
3: an angel, the Lord speaking to you? I think uh, the Lord Himself, God Himself, yes. and thinking Isaiah, and um, what separates from hearing His voice is our sin. But when we start to come before Him, God speaks and talks to non-believers all the time. The question is, do we know who's speaking? Do we actually know His voice? Um, are we willing to turn from our sins? And so I, I'm hearing this voice and realize, and this is the Lord, this is God himself, because I know that as I get further into the experience, I meet him in, in the heavenly realm, it's him talking to me directly. So at this point, I'm still knowing it's God, but have not met him. So well, this sense? is
2: God speaking to you and others, so he's intervening to you and and telling you what not to do, or what to do. Yeah. Meanwhile, these others are not not helping, and so by all intents and purposes, you should have been dead by this time.
3: But yeah, God, I would have so- died naturally on the beach. I'd have slipped into a coma and have died within five minutes of being hit by it, 10 minutes maximum. Um, and I, in fact, I talked to some, some doctors who deal with this kind of stuff. They said, even if we inject a serum amulet of antivenom or antitoxin, we actually taught to cognitively slap them, keep them awake, so that the patient is fighting with us, even though they've had the anti-serum or anti-venom given, they must keep cognitive. The patient must be physically engaging and fighting with the poison. So the, the anti-serum wouldn't have stopped it anyhow. In fact, in Australia, they carry them on the beach. The, the lifeguards actually have them, so they inject instantly. Sooner they get the anti-serum in, sooner they get the anti-toxin, to nullify the antihistamines to try and nullify this, this poison and the effect um, and it's a top neurotoxin so it attacks your neurological system systematically paralyzing you until it hits your vital organs of the heart and the brain and when it hits that your brain dead.
2: So was this antitoxin administered to you in the ambulance
3: or no, at
2: the hospital? No. Not so then the they,
3: no well then they get me into the hospital Then a wheelchair because I'm paralyzed they race me in First thing happens, like most acts in emergency, it can take a while to see the doctors. I <laughs> don't know what it's like in the States, but it can take a while to get to see anyone. The middle of the night, the nurse puts the blood pressure onto my arm, first time, no pulse. She's a bit confused, puts another one on, no pulse. Shakes the machine, hits it where the mercury's supposed to move, and I'm realising that this is what's called a crash mode. In other words, your extremities shut down under trauma and under this kind of duress, the body goes into self-preservation. So this nurse had obviously never seen someone with their eyes open and their entire extremities, no pulse, shut down. <laughs> the ambulance driver sees the nurse has lost the plot. He's obviously seen more trauma and dealt with it. He rips that off my arm, pushes the nurse to one side and raises me directly through to the doctors known what he termed a crash mode. I'm in, I'm, I'm nearly gone. The doctors see me as the nurse races in with two blood pressure results. Whenever he's, they saw, no pulse. Suddenly, I've got men running with crying out. We've got the whole hospital. You know, you've got that A&E suddenly alive. It's and how they wake up, <laughs> out of the woodwork, people started coming. the old doctor doesn't even wait. He starts filling up an antiserum syringe, starts injecting it in my, into me My myself. He said, son, this is antiserum, antitoxin. For the poison nurses arrived and began slapping my hand trying to get a drip feed in for the dehydration. Uh, and um, I'm feeling like a pincushion as suddenly I'm surrounded by people trying to save me. The old doctor saying, son, don't close your eyes. Whatever you do, you need to fight this poison or you will die. We are trying to save your life. And this is what God
2: was telling you initially <laughs> yeah. reiterated by the doctor.
3: 100%. I'm then watching my veins go up like a bubble and it's not moving. And so they get three injections in. So they try to manually massage it and it's rolling off their thumb and forefinger because, of course, my veins have collapsed. So when there's point going into the arm, trying to get a line in, what they should have done is come in and get into a vital, you know what I mean? What often they, there's different ways they can do it, but these poor doctors and nurses, they're trying their best. And, and he said, son, that's all we can do for you. Now, I'm mostly the first white person in this hospital ever, Harriet. <laughs> and and they're, they're, they're a bit, they're freaking themselves. I can see it in their eyes. I can see even the old doctor's response. He said, son, I'm sorry, that's all we can do for you. You need to fight this poison. Keep your eyes open. Don't close them. So they left me out of the wheelchair, put me on a recovery bed in the A&E, and lay me down, which of course is the worst thing they should have done, because it just pans the poison out. They should have kept me upright. Uh, I can then feel the neurotoxin attacking. I can't speak, can't tilt my head. I can only barely close my eyelids. Each time I lift them up, they get worse. In fact, I can feel perspiration from the dextrose, sugar solution, causing it to fall and form pools into my eyes. I can't, get them out so i'm squeezing the fluid that's coming back into my body to try and get them out i'm stopping my eyes from seeing all i'm doing is pumping the neurotoxin through the capillaries i thought i gotta stop i've gotta rest i've gotta shut my eyes for a few minutes and then try again power nap (laughs) but as i shut my eyes i feel an intense sigh of relief as my whole body feels like it just release of something. It feels like the battle to, to stay alive had finished. As I'm feeling this extraordinary release and finish, I hear the, the, the um, beeper go off of flatline. Um, the pulse is gone. Does that make It's like, boom. Now, some people see a lot of stuff once they're dead. I mean, and, of course, this isn't just heart dead. Because it's a neurotoxin, it is not a heart attack where you can have them heart dead but not brain dead, I am killed by the poison at the point of death. I'm, I'm flat, flat lying, everything, heart dead, brain dead, at the moment of death. I feel this extraordinary release, and suddenly I'm out of my body. Now, many people talk about how they can look down, see, know where people are standing, people that are talking, family members, doctors. And, of course, what Jesus said is that when a man dies, his spirit leaves his body. You know, the physical body is just a clay vessel. It's ash to ash, dust to dust. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall live. So the physical body dies, but the spirit of the man, created image of God, leaves. <laughs> so in a second, I'm out of hospital,
0: total, good, out of a completely different realm. But now I'm awake, standing upright, and everything's pitch black. Did I just die? You know what I mean? I'm kind of the line of, of events. Have I just died and left my body? Or have I just woken up in the dark, not sure how long I've been asleep? for? Well, I'm alive. I'm not dead. It's dark. Obviously, your pupils are dilated. Obviously, you've been
3: asleep longer than you thought. Because sometimes you can go to sleep for a few seconds and end up to be a few hours. I thought, well, don't panic, your pupils are dilated, let them adjust to the dark, you'll see some light. So I then turn 360 degrees around looking for light. No, well, find the light switch. So I reach out to my right with my foot in my hand, trying to not trip over anything, to look for a wall. Of course, to my amazement, no wall. I go back to where my hospital bed should be, looking for a lamp or a table, nothing. But man, it's so dark, you can't see your hand in front of your face, So I brought my hand towards where my face should be, and my hand passed straight through my head. You can't miss your head. That is impossible. Two hands. Both hands go straight through my face. Yet I feel I'm here, and my hands are here, but when I go to touch the physical form, there's no physical form. So I go for my chest. You can't miss that. You know, as you get older, you can't miss much. Down there, six packs of keg. So I went, boom, straight through, nothing. So I go for my hands. Straight through. Now, I am now in a realm where I'm um, am I dead out of my body? I can feel my forms here. How can you relate to that in any natural way? Grandfather, World War, World War One, men lost limbs, World War II, arms blowing off, shrapnel taking body parts out. And those old men, when you talk to them, all of those soldiers will tell you, I can feel the arms there. I can feel the limbs are there. In fact, they feel like they want to walk, but of course, the limbs aren't actually there. Doctors call it phantom pain. I'm going, well, forget just losing an arm or a leg. I've potentially lost my entire human form that is back in that hospital, potentially
0: dead, and I'm alive out of it in a realm of complete darkness. Where on earth am I? (sighs) That
3: shook me. I then became very, very um, aware of evil Cold, evil, encroaching presence of the darkness, a spiritual component, not just physical. It felt like there was something in this darkness aware of my presence, aware of my thoughts, now making a V line for me. Then I heard men scream, Shut up! And I went, I said, Nothing. You deserve to be here. Screaming at the loudest. I said, B- Deserve to be where? Where am I? Another man, You're in hell. Now shut up. Well, I'm gone. I don't believe in hell. It's just a thing to terrify flippin' weak-minded people. If this is hell, where's the party? Where's the wine woman song? Where's the sex, drugs, rock and roll? My my understanding, if you made it down to hell for some bizarre reason and you lost the plot, party time anyhow. Everything you can't do up here, you can do down here. Well, very hard to grab a beer. Very hard to grab a woman. I mean, can't touch this then I'm thinking, well, if this is hell, hell was supposed to be from a Christian point of view, rotting corpses, maggots, worms trying to eat them. I thought, well, that can't happen. My maggoty body's back there in the, in the hospital. This is a spiritual body. This is a spiritual, transparent being. So therefore, we're not talking about literal maggots and flesh-eating creatures. We're talking about a spiritual realm. I'm thinking, well, why isn't there boys running around with horns out of their head, fried in pitchforks? shoving you on the barbecue and roasting you. Where's the demons? Where's the fire? Welcome to the, you know, hell's hell's fire. And I'm thinking, where's all that? These appear to be human beings. These appear to be just like me, tuning me into the fact that I'm in hell, I should shut my face, and I deserve to be there just like them. And then I'm thinking, well, if there was fire down here, you would actually have light, you would see something. I had no concept that Paul said in Acts 26.18, Two kingdoms in the spirit realm, kingdom of darkness, ruled by Satan, and the kingdom of light, ruled by Almighty God. And I, but I remember something like Psalm 23, the reading of funerals, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. What was amazing is that the evil was all around me, but it couldn't touch me. It's as though in the scriptures they say, Greater is he within us than he's within the world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even though I walk through that valley, shadow of death, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So I'm standing here recognizing that you can't get hungry, you can't do all the things you want to do, but God could potentially have judged me to this realm and held in darkness, the Bible says, until the day of judgment. I thought then maybe that's where they get chucked into the fire. I don't know. I'd never read a Bible But that's exactly what the Bible says. Death and hell, Hades, and the final judgment will be cast into a lake of fire and brimstone. There will be a final judgment, but men are held there until then. So I'm standing here, pure light pierces through the darkness above me. It seems to pinpoint me. It somehow has literally just singled me out in the midst of that darkness. As it envelops me, my entire body has a weightless sensation. I begin to lift up into this incredible light and I'm moving up towards this the source of this radiance far above me. As this is happening, I thought, is this actually taking place? So I look back, and I can see far beneath me the darkness. I thought, man, is that wise to do? <laughs> and then I had a, a childhood a Sunday school memory of Lot's wife. Um, the angel said, <laughs> we're going to deliver you out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but just a warning, we're about
0: to destroy it. Whatever you do, don't look back. (laughs) And of course, the poor wife, Lot's wife, did the primal worst thing. She does what? She looks
3: back. Instantly turned to a pillow of salt. I'm now remembering that story. I mean, sometimes Sunday stories just do stick. (laughs) And that one did stick. And I'm going, no, don't look back. You don't want to go back into the darkness. Fix your eyes upon this radiance. You at least appear to be going the right direction. And so I'm moving up and I see that I've been drawn into a circular shape opening. As I enter it, I become acutely aware it is the beginning of a long, narrow tunnel or passageway. As I look along the extremity of it, I can see the source of the radiance at the farthest point. I realize that the tunnel isn't the source of the light, it's only conducting pure light through it, and somehow it is me out of darkness. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness flees. (laughs) I am now moving at this light coming up towards me. I I watch thicker intensity light hit me like a wave of radiance, and my entire body is full of comfort. It's like a living emotion has just been given off, this light. But that's alive. It's, It's a living light. Another wave of light comes up, pure peace from the tip of my head to the base of my feet. And Jesus said, peace I give you, not of this world. I then thought, well, in the light, I might be able to see what I look like. In the darkness, my hand went straight through my face. So I turned my head to the right, and here is my arm and hand and fingers, transparent, full of white radiance. It is my hand. It's respo- it's, I can see it. And I, I remember reading later, it said, we're transformed. Mortality takes on immortality. First the natural, then the heavenly. First the earthly, then the spiritual. But we shall be changed. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God, who is the father of light, will bring us home. And we'll become sons and daughters of light. I am now seeing that I am me. Because my mind, my will, my emotions, it's me. I just The only thing that I've lost is my physical body. Yet I have the attributes of a physical body in a spiritual body. I don't know how
0: to explain it.
3: Then I realized that's why my hand can go through my face. I'm a spiritual being of light, yet to be clothed with immortality, with a heavenly one. You know? So I keep moving down, another wave of light hits, total joy. I don't know if you can feel the excitement, but. <laughs> yes. <Yeah,
2: laughs> and I'm, you know, I I'm, I'm, I'm look at you, Sean, and I'm thinking, what? So. So, Ian and I have had this experience of uh, otherworldly things. What's your take on on this? Because right now we're we've gone from hell to now right. we're heaven, right? And I so I, always feel like,
1: I, always feel, I always feel like Randy, you're reliving your own experience as our guests <laughs> um, are sharing their story. I mean, the, the thing that really comes to mind is Ian is sharing it. It almost seems like he's experiencing some of the fruits of the spirit, like in their extreme. Fullness, um, just you know, I, I feel like so many of the folks we've talked to, they talk about just being immersed in God's love and just the sensory overload. And I don't mean that in, with a negative connotation. It's right. just if if you could experience something in its completeness or at this ultimate, just like um, a level of like perfect fullness, that seems right. to be what I hear with everybody who shares their story.
0: Sean, it's literally you're overwhelmed. And I tried comfort, false comfort, southern comfort, you name it, mate.
3: (laughs) This comfort just enveloped me. It's everything you've been looking for in your entire existence and peace. Many places we've looked for peace, peace of mind, inner peace, some form of peace. This peace has not left me over 40 years. Um, And joy. It's not a joy that you used to get from getting wasted or, you know what I mean, just being an idiot. It's a joy that's just, it's an eternal joy. It's it's strength to your entire inner being. It's like your entire being has been waiting for this encounter all their life. I knew that wherever I was going, it could only get better. Suddenly I found myself coming out of the tunnel of light. I remember reading later, Jesus said, small and narrow is the way. few find it. And um, no unclean thing can travel down it. I come out of this into a kingdom of light the enormity would be as though you had now arrived at the center of the universe. Uh, Every area of your being is just going, the tunnel made it look incredibly small, now unrestricted access to a radiance that filled the heavens. I thought star systems, the entire universe, must find its energy from this light. What is it? Is that just energy of good? Or is there something or someone in this radiance? As I'm questioning this to myself, a person inside the light responds. As I hear his voice, the same person who led me through the Lord's Prayer, same person who spoke to me on the beach. He said, Ian, first time I'd heard my name mentioned before it was sun. Now, Ian, do you wish to return? How do you know my name? There is a person there. Return where? So, of course, I turn back. Here is the
0: tunnel dissipating back into darkness. I'm going, darkness, hospital bed. Have I actually died? Has this
3: transpired that I've left my form, moved through a valley of, of darkness, up a tunnel of light, and I'm literally standing before a person who holds the radiance and glory of the universe literally around him? Is this real? Or am I lying in a hospital bed, comatized in an NDE, near death, my mind is playing tricks on it. It's got endorphins. There's a starvation of oxygen. I give you all the clinical and all the intellectual arguments for it, and I could rationally walk through, is that what's happening? Am I lying in a near-death state in a hospital with my eyes shut, hallucinating with endorphins and starvation of oxygen? Is this a euphoric effect? Or am I actually dead, standing before a beam of light, out of my body, and this is reality?
2: So we know in hindsight that it's the it's the it's the former or latter that you were actually your brain was dead,
3: correct? Right? Well, see, this is the trouble. I think we re- we rely a lot upon our, our so called brain. But if you actually have a heart transplant, they actually have to have a, it. The mind is not just in the head. You can actually get the thoughts of a person when you move a heart to another heart. So it's out of the heart the, God looks at the heart. The heart reflects the true person. And I'm not even talking about a physical heart. I'm talking about the spirit of a man. So the fact that you have a mind, will, and emotions, which I was going through all of these. I was emotionally feeling uh, love, peace, joy, all this stuff. I was able to cognitively think and rationally
0: understand my position, where I could be, and I could make a choice. So me... I think the Jews did a lot better. Just when a man dies of spirit, his person leaves. I think
3: the Greeks get mind, will, and emotion. They try and break it all up. They try and do body, soul, and spirit. Ian was out of his body. The same person that could think, feel, and rationalise in a physical body was now able to do exactly the same. It was me, not separated. Some part of me sleeping somewhere, talking, and in front of a beam of light.
1: You know. And in, in terms of that, that being of light, uh, this voice who'd been really, on the one hand, leading you, steering you along this journey, but also really with you uh, along the whole way, uh, did you realize, was that God the Father? Or was it Jesus? At that point, Sean,
3: I just knew whoever that was, there's nothing like that in the entire universe. So I was assuming that this was God Almighty. Who that might be, I couldn't see because of the radiance and the glory shining. So I just responded and said, look, if I'm dead, if I'm out of my physical body, I wish to return. He then responded and said, Ian, if you wish to return, you must see in a new light. He qualified it. But light, see the light. I am seeing the light. This is, where, where else could you see? I've heard people being enlightened. I've heard people who have seen this light, that light, strobe lights, who knows? I said, are you the true light? That was my immediate response. He said, Ian, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John one five. I had no idea he was quoting scripture because I'd never read a Bible, but he was quoting something, and as he spoke it, it appeared like I'd seen the Lord's Prayer in like, words of light. It was as though his word was coming out of words of light, and his words were coming out, and I could read what he was saying so I could captivate the essence of it. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. I thought, well, I've just come from darkness, and the men called it hell, 80s. I didn't believe in it. I thought that was just to scare people. I thought hell was just a thing that people were frightened. That's why they believed in religion. So I'm going, well, there is a hell, there's darkness. Um, God is light. Well, I haven't believed in a God, and all I'm seeing is someone surrounded by a light that fills the universe. And it says, in him there is no darkness at all. So I stand there trying to look
0: for darkness because there's always a shadow. So I look behind me. To my amazement, I could see the light from his presence
3: was shining through my spiritual body of light. And, of course, casting no shadow. So it says there's no shadow or shifting in the Lord. I I read this later when I read the Bible. I had not had access to this. But it's true. All his word is true. His word is truth. God's, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Yet Psalm 91, it says, in the shadow of his wings. Well, if God's got no uh, shadows, <laughs> then all in, the, in his wings is only light. So I'm standing here putting, the, putting it together and going, that must be what's called almighty God. I then, of course, reconciled the uh, teaching of Buddhism, Taoism, which try to put yin and yang in a circle of life. They made light and darkness equal and opposite. I'd believe some of this on so my surfboard. I had town and country stickers with this thing on. And, of course, I'm now realizing
0: that that's not true. Light and darkness aren't equal and opposite. You can't have darkness in the midst of light, which they have in the symbol. I'm
3: in a realm where dark, light and darkness are separated. And light will always overpower darkness. So I'm getting a visual. I'm getting false teaching Obliterated in my mind, my, my esoteric new age mind, it's just been shattered in seconds. I'm then realizing that if he knows my name, knows my thought, he knows before I even speak my intention of my heart, then nothing is hidden from him. Then someone has made a dreadful mistake in being the wrong man up. I shouldn't be in the presence of Almighty God. I should crawl under some rock and judge myself back to hell before someone figures out the mistake. So in my own self-judgment, my own... It says men hate, hate the light. These three evil deeds are exposed. Suddenly, me, Ian, I can, I can feel that I'm exposed. So I begin to move back towards the darkness to self-judge. As I move back from the light, radiant waves of light penetrate out. I can watch it come towards me, just like I scene come up the tunnel. I thought, oh, here it comes. The wrath, the judgment, anger of God, I'll be catapulted back into, into the pits of hell. But as this light hits me, instead of anger and judgment, I experience unconditional love and acceptance. Oh my gosh. I don't know how to explain. It. My hands, my whole being was tingling with this liquid light that was giving off an emotion called love. People say, How do you know it's love? I said, Man, I knew what lust, sex, and passion was. <laughs> this was pure. I said, My mum, I could feel love from my mum and a purity and, a, and a no strings attached. This love had no strings attached. This was undeserved,
0: uh, unexpected, unexplainable, but it was incredibly healing. Mm. Wave after no. wave of love hit me. I said, God, but I've broken your commandments. I've, I've cursed you. I've slept around.
3: As I told him more and more of my sins, because I thought perhaps he doesn't know. I thought, no use getting in there and then being biffed out later. As I told him all the stuff I'd done wrong, his love intensified to the point I Burst into tears and wept profusely. I hadn't wept like that since I was a 12 year old boy. I'm now 14 years later, 26, bawling my eyes out, which you say, how can you do that when you've got no body? But something inside was weeping. And love was filling me up. Shame and guilt was going. I then opened my eyes. I was encased by what, two to three feet with pure white light, radiance and glory, unbelievable love. And God said, Son, in that ambulance when you prayed.
0: I didn't forgive some of your sins. All of them. All my sins have been washed away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing
3: but the blood of Jesus. Though my sins be scarlet red, he can make them as white as snow. Isn't that incredible, Grace? That's the heart of God. His Mm. love covers a multitude of sins. His love takes the deepest, filthiest sin and casts it into fear forgetfulness. He cleanses a man, no matter how filthy and messed up, and makes them totally clean in a second by the power of repentance. Nothing yeah. but repentance. Without repentance, you won't have the forgiveness. You have yeah. to repent.
2: You know, we've had, Ian, uh, some people that have messaged us and they've said, You know, I don't want to experience hell. Yeah. Uh, they're believers in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they're their fear is that they would have to go through hell in order to get through heaven. And your experience, your experience was not as a believer going into this. And at some point uh, you say, I think in the ambulance, is when you made that confession and you became a believer. So at some point between uh, accepting Christ and, and not having him, uh, there was the darkness. There was the hell experience, and then having received him is the heaven experience.
3: I asked God later. I said, "Why did you show me through that valley?" He said, "Well, Ian, nothing can separate us from it, but I wanted to show you what hell's like because you need to warn people. We need to tell them." I said, "Well, most people who love you go there." He said, "No, go straight into the light." And I've met tens of thousands of people who believe us. I believe next time I die, I won't go anywhere near that darkness. So it'll be straight into the realm of glory. And when you watch someone who loves the Lord die you'll see their face light up, they'll look past their loved ones and family and the king of glory is coming for them. Either the angel of the Lord or the Lord himself, the light of the world will come and step into their dimension and usher them straight into radiance. I believe that would be the typical, atypical, but I think it's incredibly important what God showed me of the true kingdom of darkness, not to be afraid of it because what can separate us? Life, death, principality, power can Lucifer separate us From God's love? No. Uh, The whole world lies in the power of evil and darkness anyhow. So you don't have to go to hell to figure it out. Just stay around the earth long enough. (laughs) The days we live in are so dark and twisted that you're gonna have to have faith in Christ even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of suffering. And it can actually purify and refine your spirit. Because perfect love casts it all fear. There's no fear on my body.
2: Isn't that interesting, Sean, that uh, the experience of hell that Ian had, now he's proclaiming to others that the Lord was telling him they were showing him this for a reason. And what do you think, Sean, would be that reason? And we've talked to a couple of others who have had this experience of hell. One, um, Karina had said she had experienced Satan. Uh, Howard Storm, who was one of the earlier sharers of his near-death experience, Uh, said he had experienced uh, hell. What do you think is going on there in in these different experiences, Uh, people that have just gone directly into heaven and those who have have had this touch of
0: hell?
1: I feel the reality is God gives uh, uh, experience on both sides, so to speak, because that's part of the story that needs to be told, um, that there is a literal hell where there is uh, torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth, all the things we, we read about in terms of that, that sort of a description. Um, and and we have to talk about that too, in terms of telling people of, you know, that there is a final destiny, uh, and it's to one place or the other. So I I feel like part of that is just uh, as God sends people back to share about their encounters, just that reality, you know, so many of the stories we've, we've heard, you know, the people are rescued out of that darkness by Jesus, yeah. by angels, it, it varies from uh, experience to experience. But I, I I feel like it's there just because it is a, re- a reality that has to um, be revealed. Uh, I, I actually want to take kind of a, a weird left turn uh, a bit and ask Ian a question. So Randy and I are actually talking about this in the interview. He and I recorded about his new book earlier today. You know, a lot of people ask about how how did Jesus look or, you know, physical appearance, yeah. that sort of a thing. Um I'm curious Ian to hear about that voice. You know, if if you could put it to words like what were the qualities of that voice that you heard? Like what uh, you know, did it sound like, you know, a voice sounding like many waters or like wh- what what was like the quality and what did it like um like rise up within you as that voice was communicating with you?
3: Uh I think it's just a very familiar uh it's it's soothing. It's um it's a fatherly, it's um it's a just a knowing. It's like you've known and know who this person is. And you realize it's not your own voice. You realize it's um, not darkness. It's not an evil. It's the it's whoever's speaking. The intent of that voice, I think, is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can hear the heart of the person who's speaking to you, and it's only for good. Mm. And God mm. is good. And uh, I stood there weeping and surrounded by this light, and I wanted to see him. I thought, I am so close. I now understand why all men fall short of the glory of God, because the radiance around me was like a glowworm or a firefly, little <laughs> dot of insignificance, but it was pretty pretty good for me. And the light that surrounded the Lord was the glory that filled the heavens. I think that the scriptures say that the light's so bright, you only need the light of the sun, the moon, or the stars. Can you imagine a radiance? One person that eclipses the, the sun. And the scriptures also tell us the Holy Spirit it gives off fruit, love, peace, joy. Holy Spirit glorifies the sun. So I now know it's the third person of the Holy Spirit. It was his presence. He comes as light. He comes as radiance, fire, oil, stuff. He, he was literally glorifying the sun. I said, could I come in to see him face to face, to see him speaking to me? And I waited, nothing. So I walked into this incredible light. It was like veils. I could then sense the light was healing my broken heart. It's like going deeper. I thought, hell, <laughs> your heart of hearts was being healed as I was weeping but feeling happy. I never knew a man could weep and be happy. And I then watched the light get brighter and brighter, and suddenly the veils of light that were surrounding him began to part. As it began to part and I looked up, I was overwhelmed. Here is summoned, same size, arms outstretched, literally maybe 20, 30 feet away from me, and you immediately knew that's God. The the robes he was wearing were robes of light, made up of this incredible cloud of glory. So he had shimmering garments of light, but they were white like like monk robes. See his hands outstretched to welcome me, bare feet. Then when you look towards his face, that's his hair was pure white. This is what shook me. I didn't know what, I thought, is that Jesus? But he's, I've never seen Jesus' with white hair. But his hair was shoulder length, pure white. And then when you looked at his countenance and face, this is where the source of all the light in the universe was coming out of, was his countenance. It was so bright, it made every light I'd seen to this point eclipsed seven to ten times brighter. When you look directly at it, it the light didn't hurt your face, but I, I could sense that if he spoke, he could speak into existence, galaxies, and constellations. It's like looking into eternity within eternity within his countenance. So the former man, the face of God. I I remember when a a Jewish friend gave me this Bible to read, Messianic Jew, I treasured it. I I got to the end and read in Revelations 1, 13 to 18, his head and his hair were what? White like wool, like snow. He said, I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore hold the keys of death and Hades on the Alpha and the Omega. And his face, it says, shone like the sun in full strength. So I, when I read that, I just fell out. I thought that was written 2,000 years ago. This is John, the beloved, who Jesus said, take a look after my mum, Mary. You know what I
0: mean? Mm.
3: Here, he sees Jesus in his supernatural, glorified, resurrected form. And I have the privilege to be standing before the Son of God, with arms of love reaching out. So I walk closer towards him, captivated by the beauty of him. And I experience light emanate from his face and instant purity. My entire being feels the innocence of childhood restored. It's as though his purity has been imparted into me. Then, Because you can't make yourself pure. <laughs> you can't forgive. Only God can cleanse you of all your sins with his blood. Then I got closer, more light emanated out Holiness, a very, very abstract word. I'd never met anyone who was holy. Here, the holiness of God filled me, and I felt pure, holy, forgiven, loved, full of peace, full of joy, full of comfort, and a broken heart healed. I came right up to experience his presence, and he began to move as though he wanted to show me more. I thought, why can't I see his face? Why hasn't he unveiled his face to me? Well, I didn't know that no man looks upon the face of God lives. Even Moses couldn't see it. So he moves like he is a door of radiance and light. As he moves directly behind him, I see a whole new dimension opening, grass, fields. I can see flowers. I see the radiance that's emanating across Jesus' countenance and entire being is emanating across this entire planet. It's like a new earth in front of me. I'm getting words. Garden of Eden. Paradise. Why wasn't I born here in the first place? I am looking like at a parallel universe in time and space. It's like the matrix. It's like there is a totally new earth. I'm thinking, but heaven is supposed to be clouds with, with people with uh, hmm. robes on and walking around with little fat Italian babies firing arrows with puffed up cheeks and, or, you know, Morgan Freeman or something at the pearly gate. Oh, what the heck? no one told me that God's created a new earth. And then I see a crystal clear river, and the Lord's saying, I've created new heavens, new earth, river of life, and can see trees, not just one tree, trees of life. (laughs) I look up, and I can see the new heavens. I I, I am amazed, and I'm assuming that above that is the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the bride of Christ. I am looking at the new earth, captivated by it. I know I'm home, and Jesus comes right back in front of me. The door into eternity closes. I've just had a glimpse. He said, Ian, yeah, now you've seen, do you want to stay here or do you wish to return? What a choice.
0: Yeah. I said, stay
3: here. No one wants to come back. Who would want to be dumb enough to come back? You've just had the love of God. He's called you by name. He's given you and you have set before you paradise without sin, without tears, without war, without hatred. It's finished. And I said, I have nothing to go back for. He didn't move. I said, no one loves me. No one back there, no children not married and none that I know of, please let me stay. He didn't move. So I looked back to say goodbye, cruel world. And this is what hit me. Here is a vision of mum. I just told God no one loved me. There was no one to go back for. And here I am confronted with mum who's still praying for me, alive on earth, and I am literally being given the choice to come in. What would it, how would that impact mother? Her son, she would have no idea that I prayed. She would have no diary, no no paramedic, no doctor, no friend could say this boy has turned his life around and is now a follower of God. There was no reference to it. I did it in an ambulance. No one heard me pray it was done in my heart. I thought this would cripple my mother's face. This could destroy a woman. Had I not seen her, I would not be standing here. Had I not been encouraged by her to pray, I would not have made that prayer. Had she not been interceding for me, would I have actually seen the Lord or called out to her? No. She couldn't repent for me. She couldn't pray for me, but she could pray me to the point where I made that decision, where I called upon the name of the Lord. And I said, I must go back to tell my mom what she believes in real. I have to go back. I can't possibly live another selfish day of my life where I just lives for me. It would be ultimate selfishness to come in here without going back to tell my mother what she believes in is real. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a risen Savior. It's all true. It's all true. No one knows it. And I look back, and Jesus said, Ian, if you return, you must see things in a new light. I understood I must see from his heavenly, eternal perspective through eyes of love, not with all my
0: bitterness and judgments, but from eyes of love. No more being so flip arrogant and proud, but from humility,
3: from kindness and gentleness, from what he had shown me, I must see from his eyes and from his perspective, from an eternal, not an earthly perspective. When Jesus comes into you, Christ in you, you can't help but be changed. That exchange we give you, give your heart to Him because you love Him. He gives His heart to you, and He gives you His perspective on life, and it's an eternal perspective. I looked back, and next to my mom appeared my dad, my brother, my sister, millions of people, a seer humanity. I said, God, why do you show me all these other people? I know my immediate family. He said, Ian, because most will not step foot inside a church any longer to hear my name. I want you to go back. Tell them what you've seen. I said, but, God, they won't believe me. They won't believe what I've seen. And I, and I don't even know if I – I don't love these people. He said, Ian, I love them. I desire all of them to come to know me. I said, well, I don't understand that kind of love. I can say I genuinely love my mum. I can definitely go back for her. How do I go back down the tunnel into darkness and back into my physical body? He said, Ian, tilt your head, open your eye and see. And in a second, I was back in my body, tilting my head, opening my eye to find that I'm no longer in the actual emergency. I'm in the mortuary on a slab with a different doctor holding my foot with a scalpel Freaking out as his corpse comes alive right in front of him. of us <laughs> yeah. God then speaks that I've just given your life back. I said, God, if that's true, can I look out the other eye? So I roll my head to the right, to the left. Doctors spinning out of his tree. Nurses, three of them had followed me from the accident emergency down to the moor. They see me as the corpse moves. They freak, bash into each other, run, take off. I thought, well, this isn't someone coming out of a coma. This isn't someone coming out of a, a near-death experience. They're treating me like I'm a dead piece of meat. I potentially could have been dead. I look back at the doctor. He drops my foot think he's going to run. He said, you've been dead for 15 to 20 minutes, son. We've done nothing to bring you back. And I can see him almost urging me to tell him what I've seen. I said, my God, if I tell him I've seen the Lord, I've seen this. They'll lock me up with Prozac and shove me into a <laughs> mental asylum. They'll section me. So I knew what I would mostly do if I had someone tell but they lived, mate. And I thought, no, God, please heal me. I can feel nothing from this, from the neck down. I've been dead three minutes. I've been 15, 20. I could be on a machine. Please heal me and I, or take me back to heaven. Power went through me like electricity, and within three or four hours, my entire body was supernaturally healed. So I believe in the resurrection power of Christ and his healing presence. Anyhow, I'm talk too long. There you go. I walked <laughs> out of the hospital, totally
0: oh. healed.
1: Uh, well, I, I want to get so, back to where you go after you oh, get out, out of the sad. hospital, but uh, a comment I want to throw out uh, I so have enjoyed all the people we've encountered over this first season where they have their experience, and then when they're back living life again uh, on the back on earth on the other side of the veil and they read God's word. They encounter what they encountered in heaven, not knowing that it was actually in scripture. Like you shared, when you read Revelation, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's exactly what I saw or what I experienced. And I think of all the things that we've encountered in this first season, to me, that's the most delightful thing is that they had no idea that this was in God's word. And so there's no way it could have influenced their experience or how they process their experience. And then when they go back and they have a hunger for the word and they're digging in it's just another, I feel like it's a grace of God. It's such a confirmation and such a blessing to really give context for, for what you experience and to see that, like you said, this was John thousands of years ago encountering this and it exactly matched up with your experience. I just love that. It's such a beautiful uh, reality there. Uh, So Ian, you wake up in the morgue, you freak out the doctors. uh, Your body just gets hit with the electricity of God. Uh, Talk to us about like, in terms of like healing, um, you 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 were dead. You should have stayed dead. How complete was that healing you experienced, and how soon was it till you left the hospital?
3: Um, well, I went to sleep that night. The next day, the fisherman had followed me. I, I was I woke up to find Simon, that I've been diving with, looking through the window, seeing that I was alive, and we were freaking out. He said, "Yeah." What? And he's thinking I'm a spirit. He's trying to figure out whether I'm actually real. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell him. And, and he said, come, come with us. We go, we go home. We go home. And I'm thinking, well, maybe the doctors need to do some more checks or more tests or something. <laughs> he said, no, no, you look all right, man. Look at you. So I stood up. I thought, oh, gosh, I can stand. Okay, I can walk. I had nurses and doctors trying to stop me as I just out of the hospital. Jumped into the taxi with my Creole friends. And they were, they were spinning out, man. They said, whoa, look at your arm, show sure it And we had marks all over it and um, went back into the village. That night, I mean, I went to sleep and woke up as though something was spooked me. Something could freak me out. I was deeply at peace, but my body was shivering. So I looked over, rolled over, looked through my skin. And here at the window, looked like there was six or seven people gawking at me. I thought, why have we got people flipping come to see the blinking jellyfish, whatever, you know, and they, why are they staring and lurking outside my bedroom? But then as I looked, I realized that these they had the form of human, but they were shadowed, dark, spiritual beings. And when I looked at their eyes, I could see their eyes weren't pupil round. They were slit, almost like a snake or a serpent. And I'm thinking, what is that? And then as I look at them, they speak to me and said, you are out and we are coming home. i you what? You would potentially incite me? You must be flippin' joking. Coming home? What the heck? See, I had no reference to, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man and finds six or seven worse in a dry, barren place and try and come back and find the house swept clean and try and come back and inhabit it. So I'm having introduction spiritual warfare 1050, you know, instantly I am actually seen with my eyes being open to the supernatural realm, I'm getting eyes open to the spiritual realm. I'm in a village that's full of voodoo. <laughs> He's gone to all kinds of stuff. Mate. It's like Haiti. So I'm, I'm in stuff where they do stuff. And, and I can feel evil, but I've never seen it. I would feel stuff, but I've never actually physically seen it. Much scarier when you think that potentially that one of those could have been in you. But, of course, when you die, your spirit leaves. Why hang around the corpse? Go and find some other poor soul. You know, the scriptures say they seek a, a place of rest. And I and I would turn the lights on, and I'm freaking out going, am I going mental? I'm seeing the boogeyman. You know what I mean? This is nuts. This, this is loony tunes. I come to the point where I'm sitting on the ground thinking through, nearly snapping,
0: and God said, son, pray the Lord's Prayer. But I can't fully remember it. So I walked through the experience, and I said, yeah, the only
3: thing last night was the Lord's Prayer, and in it, deliver us from evil. God says, pray, deliver us from evil. So I sat down, white right, God got a bunch of evil. I don't know where the heck they've come from, but they certainly are attentive towards me. I don't know what I've done or what I've seen, but God, can you deliver me from the evil that's outside my window that is just ominous? And I finished praying the whole Lord's Prayer. I walked through the entire testimony and remembered the whole thing. And God said, okay, son, now you've prayed, turn the lights out and go to sleep. that's easy for you to say, you're up there, I'm down here and I've got a pack of whatever they are outside my window. (laughs) You must be joking. (laughs) I I sat there and contemplated. I thought, well, the prayer worked last night. I mean, I went to heaven, I saw God. Well, why not? Why not? God's got power over evil. Absolutely. Close,
0: turn the lights out and wait and see if they come back. Turn the lights out, didn't come back. I thought, there's power in the Lord's prayer. So
3: I get up in the morning, wander down to the kitchen, an Aussie and New Zealand guy that I'm I'm renting one of the rooms each to. um, They're talking to each other. As they're talking, I can hear four conversations. I can hear what they're saying out of their mouth, but I can actually hear what they think about each other. (laughs) Not very nice. And then uh, as I'm looking at that, God said, I said, what's all this about? God said, you are seeing people in a new light. You can actually hear the heart intent of that person. I said, well, I don't like people at the used to times before. <laughs> why, why am I hearing that? I mean, that's out there. And then one of them turned to me, and I could actually hear what he thought about me. That was a little bit unnerving, not what was coming out of his mouth. So I kind of ducked off and went down to the bedroom and hit for a moment. Thank God this could send you nuts, man, if you start seeing the spirit realm and you start seeing the intent of people's hearts. How does all this work? So anyhow, I went to sleep, woke up in the middle of the night, Here is three spiritual entities, which I can only understand to be demons from the Bible, standing with the shape of a human form. If you think they were once angels, I'm sure they had some angelic body. Now God has destroyed it. I think Ezekiel 28.18 says God's consumed Lucifer and the angelic bodies with fire and burnt them. So they're spiritual beings of darkness because we don't
0: fight against flesh and blood. So I'm now seeing spiritual beings of darkness trying to sail me. Well that freaks
3: you out when they're that far away. So I turned the lights on. For some reason I hated the light, sat down, went through the same experience and God said, the Lord's prayer saved your life. Deliver us from evil. Pray it again. Damn, pray, they're gone. And we know that we'd encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. <laughs> so <laughs> next night, wake up, here's a girl I've been trying to move on beautiful young creole girl she said hey i want to talk to you i'm thinking no i'm not interested in girls i'm not interested (laughs) just leave me alone she said i've got it so important walk around the side of the house open the door and here's this young girl and the red spiritual entities that i'd seen out of their out of physical bodies one of them was inside her i could see it inside her eyes she she held the door i couldn't shut it and and her voice changed i'd heard this once when i was in a I'd been at some weird spiritual thing where a woman spoke like a man. That's crazy. I'd only went there once, just some weird thing, medium or something. So here I've got this woman speaking with a man's voice, and I'm thinking, that's the thing that's in her.
0: What the heck? And it said, you're coming with us tonight. I couldn't physically shut the door. strong. I couldn't
3: budge it. I could hear someone or something crawling on the edge of the house. And I went,
0: God, help. Next minute, my hand lifted up, and I went, in Jesus' name. I'm like, did I say? that? And then an invisible
3: fist hits this girl on the chest. Her physical body is thrown through the air onto the ground. I'm going, this is madness. Jesus had been a swear word. Now it's got power. What the heck is going on? This woman's got some evil thing in her. <laughs> what? She's demonized. And I've heard about people going to trances and walking on fire and hanging from meat hooks. I'd seen some of this stuff. I'm now joining the dots and going, this woman's in voodoo. She's a voodoo. Who knows what she's involved Who knows what spirit she's involved in and got involved into? It's like a snake. This thing on the ground literally moves her body and tries to launch it towards me. I'm slamming the door shut and freaking out going, what have I done? What have I seen to cause spiritual beings to try and take me out? And God said, well, your sin will find you out, and you are willing to try and sleep with that girl. In this world, if you sleep with one of the local girls, you either marry them or the brothers will kill you. You're right. I've seen that happen in Thailand. I've seen that in different parts of the world. You touch the locals, you're in trouble, but normally you get away with it when you're a sinner like me. Now I've just seen God. I'm praying every day. I'm a little, I'm walking and says, "Let there be no foothold, no sin." This is kind of put the fear of God in most Christians. Don't muck around, you know. So I'm standing, going, "Okay, let's get out of this country." Middle of the night, the next night, I see a spear coming through the window. Her boy, her brothers are trying to kill me while I sleep. <laughs> I shone the torchlight at them, and their eyes are red. And now I've got three men with red eyes and the girl whose eyes are red. I thought, well, that's where some of those flipping demons must have gone into, for some reason, are trying to kill me. Uh, and, and I, of course, got the name of Jesus, <laughs> got the power of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I've also got a bit of Irish in me, which is called McCormick, and the family name means no fear. <laughs> You're not an Irishman, Dan. You want to watch out, man. They might stand back up. <laughs> you know, not yeah. might not be They stand up even harder than when you first knocked. So I am, I am going, get up! you know, and they, they cower back. From the light
2: and from from the prayers, Ian. This is you are the perfect segue to our next series, from the NDE afterlife to angels and demons, and so that's a that's a great segue into this next series of uh, episodes that we have on two Christian dudes. And I feel, comp- yeah. So now now you've got uh you know kind of a twofold uh, purpose here. One is the is heaven and the afterlife and now uh angels and demons and deliverance yep. and you know I I feel compelled uh to just for our viewers sake because they have heard a number of uh stories or will have heard a number of stories about these encounters uh near death or afterlife encounters and uh there is a, a great number of uh questions around what does he look like you know god and all of these appearances and what have you um our, our encouragement is to really delve into uh, the scriptures into the bible because yeah. you'll find that there is a lot there is more description as to uh, heaven or uh, the glory of god or uh, than than would be or the appearance of jesus um than you might uh, might imagine so um, from my perspective, the glory of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you've touched on that, Ian, and the appearances in the, the uh, experience with, with those three, Triune, God, are different. Yep. And so you talked about the long flowing hair. You know, my experience was the glory of God and the throne, the Father is akin to what you just talked about mine with uh jesus was more of a familiar more than, as you talked about the uh uh the garden of eden you know that that experience and seeing him in uh in a kindred way so it doesn't deny or refute and you know any of the experiences that we have it really highlights the variety of experiences that we have given the exposure that god gives uh, to us so we can We can be in two different places in the world. We can be in, uh, you know, working in a factory and somebody else is uh, vacationing in the mountaintops. They're all part of the world, but the experiences in that world are are different. And the experiences with people are different. But the experience with God is something very unique and reflective of how he wants to reveal himself uh, to us. So, uh, yeah.
3: I well, think the Lord had shown me the kingdom of darkness, and now I'm realizing that that kingdom of darkness, of course, rules a lot of this world. And I was—I I got to Perth. I flew out of there, grace that God got me out. And my brother, um, I met him and shared my testimony with him, and it freaked him out. I slept in his best friend's bedroom, who was, who was up in Nepal. And in the middle of the night, I was attacked by this spiritual entity, a white-eyed thing, this one. And as I walked around, God showed me that it came out of a Buddha statue that was sitting on the on the fireplace. I mean why he said the white-eyed demons come out of that idol he, he didn't call it Buddha, he just called it an idol and it turned out that the guy that was in the room I was staying in was training to be a Nepalese monk and was up and up talking to some um, guru or something up there in the mountains of Nepal and I thought Buddhism was quite harmless, but here I'm actually finding that the idols actually have spiritual entities in them and the Bible calls them demons. So I, I flew home to New Zealand, and I said to uh, my mum, met me, and my dad, my girlfriend. They, their mum was weeping and crying and arguing with me, and, and I get home, and I, and I get a sense of an, another attack, and I said, God, how do you get rid of them? You know what he said? Read the Bible. He had already told me in the plane when I asked him what had happened to me. He said, you're a reborn Christian. He said, I've heard of Catholics. I've heard of uh, Baptists. Watch reborn? He said, well, when you prayed the Lord's Prayer in the Adminutes, you were born again. And I said, I don't understand all this. He said, well, if you want to know, read a Bible. I said, I don't have one. I've never read one. He said, Your dad's got one. So I walked through into the bedroom, asked my dad, and, and within six weeks, I read the entire Bible. Uh, my uh, my parents' mum was weeping. She walked in watching me read the Bible one day. What happened? What happened? And she was so excited. And I told her, and she burst into tears and told me how she'd been praying. We gave each other, she's small. I gave her a big hug. And, you know, and, and I, she said, son, what are you reading? And I started showing her. She said, oh, my church, they don't get us to read much. It's usually the priest's job. I said, Mom, it would be really good if we started reading Bible studies. <laughs> my girlfriend took me to church. I mean, the church was contemporary music. Their faces were shining. People were loving the Lord. And I had a Messianic Jew come up behind me and said, come to my Bible study. You need to get baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit. and Oh, it's just an adventure. It was just a honeymoon. It was like the whole world was just full of God's presence. Although there was darkness, but lift up your eyes. Let the light and glory of God fit you. That was our greatest protection, was to be in the realm of God's presence and light. Darkness has to flee and is dispelled by the love of God. Anyhow, I'm, I just i love him I can't wait to go back.
0: <laughs> amen
1: amen well i i have to say ian I, I feel like you have one of the uh the most unique uh kind of getting backed into deliverance ministry kind of stories so thank thank you for sharing the, those those different encounters I, i'm curious um as you have just grown in your ministry journey has uh demonic manifestations and deliverance has that been a part of how you've ministered through the years yeah.
3: I don't go looking for them. Some people get all preoccupied. The whole key is to focus on the open heaven, the glory of God. This is your, the full armor of light. This is the greatest place to fight from a heavenly perspective, not an earthly one. And when they do come across your path, sometimes it is sickness. They need a miracle. Sometimes it's counseling. They've got broken hearts. Sometimes it's just an arm of comfort and love. They just need to be helped. Other times there is a spiritual entity, depending on what they've been involved in, depending on whether they've been in a cult or witchcraft of some form, or seeking truth, sometimes they've got it. through astral travel through yoga. They've invited entities into them, which become things that need to go out. And we have power in the name of Jesus to heal the sick, cast out demons, and to set captives free. And so Jesus continually saw what was needed. Do they need food? Feed them. Do they need um, to be healed? Heal them. Do they need to come and just see my glory and be loved back to life? Yeah. All of it is helpful to make the body, body, soul, and spirit entire and complete. So we need to bring the whole gospel, which is that God's working in every area of our being. And mm-hmm. some people have great, great deliverance can come just by forgiveness. Just by them forgiving others, great deliverance can come. If you get to the root, the enemy has no hold. I've seen more deliverance done by actually ministering to the heart of people and for mm-hmm. them working through Giving others and then being healed by God, you remove the legal right through unforgiveness and bitterness and through the power of the Holy Spirit they depart without you even having to address them but sometimes you do have to confront and you have to um, there has to be a, a unfortunately complete demonic confrontation, but we try not to get there um, there's other ways to get to the soul and get to the spirit of that person
2: you said something interesting in the legal right because we Don't oftentimes think of the legality of what, uh, of God's way, uh, in that the Lord's prayer, which you've referenced says, uh, the second part of that is uh, forgiveness. I forgive. I ask forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, of my trespasses as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. So that, that is the, that's, that's the severance of that charge against us to then the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of others. So that is the release of that. Uh, it's the key. Finding. But then,
3: you, but then that, that's that's the key. But then they have to be receive the healing. So when you're forgiven, it doesn't mean you're healed. Uh, it, it gives the ability once you forgive others. It doesn't mean by forgiving them you're saying what they did was right. What they did was evil could be completely mm-hmm. demonically inspired. But God, and it's right, if you release that forgiveness, God then can come in and heal your broken heart, restore holiness, restore purity, restore dignity, take the shame away. And that's been my direct experience. He will make all of that new again. He can bring you back as if you've never had sex before in your life. You've never been abused in your life. You've never been hurt. God can restore you back to childlike innocence through a spirit of adoption and through his incredibly healing love. This is... Powerful. I find a lot of people say, i have forgiven. I said, but have you been healed? No. I'm still, I, I keep forgiving. I said, no, they, they got it at the first time. You need to now come into a place where the love of God will actually, by the Spirit, touch and heal your inner man. Because out of that comes the wellspring of life.
0: And who can survive with a broken heart? Some people can't. Yes. And then the third part of that. Lead me not unto temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's right. So there comes the
2: forgiveness, part of the cleansing of unrighteousness, and then protect me from entering into sin or or temptation.
3: Absolutely. And walk in the light as he is in the light. Put your hands in the hands of the master. Allow him to surround you by his radiance and glory and be changed in the inner man from glory to glory allow him to lift you up into heavenly places on a daily basis. (laughs) We know earthly use unless you get seated up with him and start being caught up. Many people talk about God coming down, but my experience, most of my real encounters as I've been a Christian has been caught up into the throne room, caught up into the manifest presence of God, caught up into the third heaven. And this is where you get revelation. This is where you get encounter. Um, This is where you get heavenly perspective. And that's exactly what John the Beloved had on the Isle of Patmos in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's caught up and instantly, though he's still alive, sees Jesus glorified Then sees the door open and sees the throne room and sees the entire elders and living creatures before him. And he encounters God, the Father. He sees Jesus glorified and he's still alive. That's why it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Most people read it as a revelation of the Antichrist. No, it's a revelation of jesus christ that's why that encounter is to be a norm
0: of christianity we're in the world but not of it we are to be touched by open heaven and the glory realm.
3: but you have to see the glory of god on a daily basis to be changed from glory to glory moses saw it; his countenance shone so hopefully if the inner man's been transformed the outer countenance would have shining the radiance of met with Jesus they could see that they walked with him anyhow
1: well and i i just want to say you know i'm i'm not going to say it was uh divine providence that we lost the first iteration of this interview due to a technical issue uh but i i feel like the the places we went uh the testimony you shared ian we went places i know we didn't go uh, oh. in that first conversation and so i feel like just the quality of what we've been able to Uh, bring together in this discussion far exceeded what we did last time. So I'm, I'm happy that we had to do this interview over again. Um, You know, in terms of these conversations, I know people are often taken with one aspect or another aspect of a person's testimony. I always refer to them as the shiny objects. They, they key in on, on, on this thing or that thing. Um, But in terms of, you know, for the, the folks who've spent the time, you know, we we've been at this for well over an hour and a half to get to this point in the interview, like what's that takeaway? What what do you hope they've really heard uh, in your testimony in your story? We we again we key in on you know seeing God's glory or you know seeing seeing heaven. But you know what's that takeaway? You hope everybody gets from this conversation tonight.
3: I think the greatest and that's been the greatest impact upon my life is the love of God. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love will remain. And we love because He first loved us. So. You can have resurrection power, you can see glory, you can see radiance. But the key was that God is love. And all of us are looking for that. Love is the greatest. We we will be changed when the the God of the heavens and universe, Al El Shaddai, Al Him, Yeshua Hamashiach, when he comes and touches you with this divine romantic love, you change forever. And and that is the key for me. Everything else is extraordinary but the person of christ he was the living word of god made flesh i beheld his glory i fell in love with the person of jesus and i loved him because he had first loved me back to life i didn't have the capacity to know how to respond to that until he first loved and healed me and so when i was his love prepared me to meet him face to face and um uh, that is the hallmark of everything that I know uh, and, and the, I hope that people get is the manifest love, the tangible love uh, that can come from God to you. This will make you secure. This will, be, this will be an anchor to your soul. This will be the hallmark of everything is the security uh, of his acceptance and love for you. Takes all striving away, takes all performance. It brings you to a place of rest.
0: And this is coming from a man who was an
2: atheist, who's now an unfire believer in Jesus, (laughs) and is is involved in deliverance of demons and in preaching uh, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that in itself is a miracle. And as we talk about visiting heaven, you know, it confirms the reality of heaven and of hell in some cases yes. um, and certainly uh, of God. And that is something that is a, such a profound takeaway. Uh, That's why I
0: love it, you
3: guys. It's so easy. You can see it on your canvas, man. It's simple. It's like talking to you for years. It's the love of God that joins people together their hearts and live together in the spirit. And when that happens, you have a, an overwhelming sense of happiness and joy known that eternity set before to develop that relationship that is pure and is unmessed with. Pure love. He gives us the treasures of darkness. Isaiah 45, 2 to 3. He cuts through bronze bars. He goes and plunders darkness. He looks for pure gold and silver. He looks for precious stones, and he pulls them out of darkness. He delivers them. And um, I think yesterday I was praying with a friend in Sydney, and we got this thing of mantles coming down from heaven, just beautiful anointed mantles coming and and clothing us. Almost felt like it was it was the dew of Hermon, the dew of heaven, just bringing you down lower and lower. Now while you're prostrated, worship before God, hidden under the ne- underneath His holiness, His righteousness, His robes of anointing. It's the anointing and mantles of heaven that break the yoke over our lives and then over how we come near. He first sets us free so we can set others free. He first loves us so we can love others. He saves us so we can lead people to Him. His heart is to save the world. He Funny. wishes not to perish.
1: And and Ian, you're, I, I feel like you're picking up on something that really does come through in these conversations, uh, you know, in terms of all the episodes we've done in this season, it, they definitely provoke people. You know, we get, we get messages and comments and, and whatnot. And one one theme that I see come through over and over again is people say, But well, these guys are the real deal. Like these these people are having like a real discussion. So kind of that, the, the divine synergy, the, the sense of kind of brotherhood, if you will, that you described in, in our conversation. Now, I feel like we felt that um, the first time that we talked as well, but that really does- He's- Come through to people it is it is tangible they experience with uh, it with us uh as we're having these discussions so I, I love that you picked up on that, Randy, I want to give you the final word wherever you want to land us, wrap us up, bring us on home how, how do we finish this powerful conversation? I feel like we could go on for hours if we if we kept going <laughs> well,
2: that's a that's a big onus uh responsibility that is Sean because uh I love my my brothers here, both of you have. Just exhibited the love of Jesus Christ. If anything, through our experience with each other in this time uh, together, and the experiences if you joined us in uh, prior episodes or, or maybe future episodes, is you will see that there is a variety of people and experiences and interpretations that we have based on our uniqueness. However, what what really centers us is, is the uh, solid foundation of, of Jesus Christ, God. We all testify of the one true God. And that is, that is what we are, been returned, Ian and I, to testify of the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, uh, which is Jesus, and that uh, no one comes to the Father but through him, and that once that happens, there is a transformation. So so that we can uh, hopefully minister to your hearts and uh, share that love so that you can be exposed to that because there's so much mucky muck. Whether you're in New Zealand or the United States or wherever you may be, there's so much going around you that can really weigh you down. uh, And so hopefully this will be a light to your soul uh, to free you uh, with the love of uh, Jesus Christ so that you can walk in abundance. And live life to the full, as as Jesus wishes for each of us. So God bless you, and thank you, Anne, so much for sharing with us. Your enthusiasm is contagious. Um, it's gone from light in my room to darkness, and I know you're a day ahead in New Zealand. Yeah, so not uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what time it is. It's night there, and I'm uh, in
3: the afternoon.
2: In the afternoon, okay. So we're in different uh, time zones, but uh, in the same
3: place. of you, I think. What's that? We're a day ahead, so it's Wednesday. You're a day ahead, yes, yes.
2: So you can tell us what uh, tomorrow looks like. Then I guess (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) right. Well,
2: well,
1: Ian, we we appreciate you coming on the show all the way from the future. Uh, But you know, I, I, I love, I love the windy path we took in terms of what you shared. We went into places. Uh, that i didn't expect you know we we went on kind of a deliverance rabbit trail which as randy said fits to into where we're going to go in season two of two christian dudes so again thank you for pouring into us just having an honest conversation with us i know it's going to challenge people i know it's going to encourage people and just thanks for investing uh in in our audience we really appreciate it
0: i
3: love you guys love the states my wife's from texas you all (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> please, just that. <laughs> So
3: I love you guys and bless America bless your hearts and may the love of God just increase in you and I think Paul said that would be rooted and grounded in love that we know the height the depth and the breadth of that love that surpasses knowledge they should be rooted and grounded in love
0: yes. so
3: bless you guys and um, thank you for giving me opportunity to speak
2: Bless you, Ian, and bless our friends in New Zealand as well.
1: Yes, bless you, Ian. Thank 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 you you so much. And if you've been long-suffering and gotten all the way to this point in the episode, thank you. I think this is the longest one uh, we've ever done. So thank you for being a fan of Two Christian Dudes. Uh, If you like the show, be sure to tell your friends. Like, share, leave a review, all the things that you can do to help us get the word out. We truly
0: appreciate it. And we'll see you again soon on our next episode. See ya.